welcome to the podcast for Sunday, August 16th, 2015. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. IEA United Methodist Church, where I served for the past 15 years, had a parsonage for the pastor. Parsonage is a house that the church owns for the purpose of housing their pastor. And back in the day, parsonages at Methodist churches were the norm. Part of the compensation package for a pastor, along with instant celebrity and excessive fame and a multi-million dollar salary, was a place to live, the parsonage. So... Maybe I didn't have the multi-million dollar uh, salary at IAEA, but I did have a multi-million dollar view, and this was my view every night from my house in IAEA. That's standing right where I would get my mail at the street, looking down Ka'amila Street out at Pearl Harbor, and the sunset over the Waianae Mountains every day. One of the other blessings of living in the Parsonage IAEA was the tangerine tree, this tangerine was, uh, tree was prolific. We had a uh, tremendous amount of tangerines every year. A prior pastor, uh, two pastors before me, had grafted two different types of tangerines and two types of, I don't know if it was lemons or limes. They were nasty, the limes and the lemons. Man, you couldn't even make good lemonade out of that. It was terrible. So we cut that off and just had the tangerine trees or branches. But uh, two different types of tangerines, one with a thick skin, one with a thin skin. We couldn't even give them away. There were so many. It was wonderful. Well, when the bishop called us to come and serve here at Palmdale, we discovered that the church did not have a parsonage, which meant we had to look for our own home. We eventually found a place to rent on West Avenue M10, just off of 50th. And one of the things that sold us on the place was the trees, like this big shade tree that's in the front of our yard. In addition to this, we also have, well, there's a bunch of trees, but three I'd like to highlight, two pistachio trees and one fig tree, and all three of those trees are producing right now. A few weeks ago, Jody, uh, who loves to bake, was looking through her Martha Stewart pie cookbook, right? Just thinking, what kind of fun thing could I make tonight? And she came across a recipe for a fig pie, and Martha wrote that she was using the traditional purple figs and the California green figs. Well, the figs in our backyard were green. We just assumed they weren't ripe yet. So we were just leaving them. Little did we know, we have California green figs. She took some down, put it, took them inside, cut them in half, scooped it out. They were delicious. So she made a, a fig a cake that night. Uh, we ordered a couple items off of Amazon.com to try to help keep the figs for our, our own consumption. We had tons of crows and ravens that kind of come to our yard, so we got this reflective tape. I don't know if you can see it there, but according to the reviews on Amazon, it said that it, you know, reflects the sunlight and scares the birds away, and then um, the, the sound of the tape blowing in the wind, which I heard it gets windy here every so often. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what she's doing. And then we bought a couple uh, uh, scarecrow um, uh, owls. One I stuck up. I don't know if it works in the tree or if you have to have on the ground, but I'm going to put another one out on the ground. So hopefully we can keep the figs 
to ourselves. And the pistachios, we figured out how to use them. So if you like pistachios, come and see me. We're, we're making batches each day, and we'd love to share some of that with you. But we feel blessed to be at a house where there are uh, trees that are producing an abundance of fruit. Welcome to the fifth Sunday in our sermon series, Grace, Jesus' Amazing Parables. And we come to a rather short parable uh, that Bill read for us, the barren fig tree. But before we jump into the text, let's take a step back. You've heard me say this before, and I'll say it again. Parables are simple stories with deep meanings. And Jesus told lots of parables over the course of his three years of ministry. And we're focusing on just those parables that have a theme of grace or God's love and and favor and blessing that's given to us without merit. We don't deserve it. It all comes as a gift. Our parable today comes from the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, beginning at verse 6. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and I still find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? Now, it's kind of interesting, don't you think, that the main object in our story, in our parable today... Uh, is a fig tree, but it's not planted in a fig orchard. Instead, it's planted in a vineyard. Now, what is normally planted in a vineyard? Grapes, right. Grapes are harvested uh, and cared for in vineyards. So, now maybe this is not a big deal. Uh, Farmers often plant some diverse crops within the confines of a largely different environment. But this opening tells us that figs were not this man's livelihood. Grapes were. That's how he made his living. Figs were more of a passion for this landowner rather than a money-making venture. Robert Capon puts it this way. It appears that he has planted the fig tree more out of personal delight than out of entrepreneurial practicality. A few years ago, I uh, started taking interest in photography. I'd always had one of those point-and-shoot cameras, you know, that does all the work for you. You just have to turn it on. That's it. And then push the button, make sure your finger's not in front of the lens, right? Well, a few years ago, uh, my, my uh, office at my church in Iaea got robbed. And just my office, no one else's office, just my office. And they took my camera, they took my video camera, they took my guitar, they took a bunch of things. Um, when the insurance money came back and a church member gave me one of her guitars, I decided, you know what, I'm going to invest in a really good camera. And so I bought my first DSLR camera with the interchangeable lenses, and I started getting books about photography and watching video tutorials and talking to people in the church that were also photographers and learning about how to make it like in focus, but the rest blurry and things like that. And I have become a a rather avid landscape photographer, and it's, uh, it's one of my passions. It brings me lots of joy. Now, I'm not ready to quit being a pastor and try to make a living as a landscape photographer, uh, but like the fig tree in the vineyard of the owner, photography is one of the things that simply bring me joy. And I think we all need things like that, right? We all need to have things outside of our, our, our vocation, uh, whether it's working outside of the home or working in the home, that we do just because we love it and it fills us with joy. That's what was happening in this story. Now, we also know that the landowner had this fig tree for three years and he hadn't seen a single hint of a fig. Evidently, the owner was keeping meticulous records on the productivity of his various crops 
And horticulturists tell us that a fig tree can take anywhere from two to five years to bear fruit. So if he came for three years, uh, he wasn't, it wasn't an unreasonable request to, to hope and expect there to be figs on it, but it also wasn't uh, the full waiting the full time to, to see if it, the, the tree really could be productive or not. Land was so precious in the Middle East that an unfruitful fig tree uh, could not be allowed to use the precious resources that could nourish a fruitful one, even if it was the owner's passion. So he makes a sound business decision, and he says, cut it down. No sense wasting resources when they could be otherwise invested more productively. So we've got the owner, we've got the fig tree, we've got someone else in the story, and that's the gardener, verse 8. The gardener replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Now, it's the gardener's job to care for and cultivate and nurture the plants. The landowner provides the resources to make that happen, and he hires the gardener or gardeners and then steps back and lets the gardener do his thing. Now, this particular gardener intercedes on behalf of the lone fig tree, asks for another year of grace, a a chance that he could take special interest upon this tree and give it all the TLC that it might need in order to start to bear fruit. And it's nothing less than we expect from any gardener worth his salt, right? I I had a friend, uh, Stu, back in Hawaii, who's uh, a landscaper and an amazing gardener. And anytime at church we were thinking, yeah, I think we need to cut down this tree or get rid of it, he'd always say, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't need to cut it down. Let's see what we can do. We can repair it back or we can transplant it. You know, gardeners don't want anything cut down. They want to care for what they've been given. That's the gardener in our story. Jody and I came to Palmdale this past April to look for homes to rent. And as I mentioned before, the past 18 years of my ministry, we were living in a parsonage. So this uh, finding a, a home search was a bit new for us. And one of the things that we noticed uh, about homes in the Antelope Valley is that almost all of them came with some form of yard service. At least that's what it said in the, in the write-up. Now, for some units, yard service was provided. In others, it was a 50-50 uh, a relationship. The renters would, would pay for half of the service. And in, in a lesser extent, some even said yard service additional. But in each, almost every place we looked at, there was some component of yard service. And Jody and I, uh, there's a few people that have yard service in Hawaii, but not as much as here. So we're thinking, hey, yard service must be a big deal in the Antelope Valley. Maybe it's because it's in the desert. And in Hawaii, you just wait for it to rain because it's going to rain two or three times every day, most likely. I mean, I never watered anything in my yard. And we had these great roses that only bloomed after the rains. But anyway... God kind of took care of the yards in Hawaii. Uh, Here, you need to hire professionals, right? You need someone, especially when we're dealing with a a state that's in an extreme water shortage and a drought, right? Hire the yard service people that know how to do to come in and get the most out of your yard. That's what was happening in this story. The owner was calling in the professionals. Now, remembering that parables are simple stories with deep meanings, let's talk specifics. Who are the characters in our parable. If we think about God, that has to be the landowner, right? Psalm 24 reminds us, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. God is the creator, the owner of everything. So God's the landowner. If God's the landowner, 
then we as God's people are the fig trees. And I don't just mean those of us here or those of us who are United Methodists or even those of us who are Christians. Every person that God created, we are the fig trees of the world. A fig tree that God has planted in his vineyard, not for money, not for a business, not because it's a big production line, simply because we bring God's joy. The gardener then would have to be Jesus, right? And to mix metaphors a bit, Jesus is the good shepherd who is sent to care for us, to nurture us in God's vineyard. And I love the parallels to this parable. How many years had the owner been looking for figs? Three years. How many years was Jesus in ministry on earth? Three years in his adult ministry life. So God gets fed up with the fig tree people that he's created, and the Old Testament is full of story after story of God's frustration with us as human beings that don't get it, or we get it, but we can't figure out how to live it out. So God, the landowner, is ready to chop us down, to finish us off. He's about to give up, give up on us completely, when along comes the gardener, who is none other than Jesus, and Jesus begs for mercy. Jesus pleads to the owner to let him do his job, let him do what he does best, and then see if the tree will produce fruit. Sir, let it alone for one more year, the gardener says until I dig around it and put manure on it. And if it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. When I was in junior high, we lived in Scottsdale, Arizona. We were a part of First Baptist Church Scottsdale. And I got involved with the youth group. Actually, I love it. I get started with camp. Summer camp, winter camp. Who among here has been to a, a camp when you were a youth? Excellent. How about as adults, if you've been to a camp as an adult? Yeah. There's something just amazing about being out in nature and under the stars with other Christians and singing songs and roasting marshmallows and getting bit by mosquitoes and all those things, right, that, that pull us together. And so I loved camp. And in between the camps, there was youth group. A youth group was what held us together and kept us excited about wanting to come back. Well, uh, David Reed was my junior high youth group leader. He wasn't the high school youth leader. He was the junior high youth leader. It, it takes a very special kind of person to be a junior high youth leader, right? Praise God for all of those who feel called to that ministry. David was one of those. David didn't grow up in the church. Uh, he came to the faith in high school. He was a college student at the time that, that I was in junior high, and we loved having him. He was dynamic and interesting and exciting. And not only did he make youth group fun and engaging, but he also uh, picked four or five of us to get together once a week for a personal discipleship study. And I was one of the ones that he chose. And so we would come on Wednesday afternoons before we had our Wednesday uh, evening service at church. And the four of us or five of us would get together with Dave and he'd go through this workbook and we'd, I don't even remember what it's about. Something about Jesus and following him. But what I do remember is that Dave chose me and he took the time to spend with me. And then he also invited me to play golf. I'm a really bad golfer now. I was really, really bad as a junior hire. He endured me and invited me along and just, it made me feel so included. We moved to Hawaii when I was uh, starting my sophomore year, and three years later, I felt called to go into the ministry. And you may remember on the first Sunday that I preached, I was saying how I, it was a big wrestling decision for me because I didn't know any pastors that were young. None. I, it, didn't even, it didn't even occur to me that I could be a pastor at my age. But I look back and I remember David 
and the love and the care that he gave me as he was like the gardener in my life, nurturing and caring and providing what I would need to grow into the person that God created me to be. And that was enough. Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. And if it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. I found something quite remarkable when I was studying and preparing for this, uh, about this parable. And it was from, you've heard me mention him before, but Robert Capon in his book, The Parables of Grace. Did you know that when the gardener said, let it alone, the Greek word used here by Luke is aphes, A-P-H-E-S, aphes. It literally means let it alone. Or for you Beatle fans, we can say let it be, Right? Let it be, let it alone, aphes. That's not what's interesting. What's interesting is that word is only used one other time in the whole, not just the whole Gospel of Luke, but in the whole New Testament. And that's in Luke chapter 23. You see, in addition to being translated let it be or let it alone, aphes can also be translated forgive. So in Luke 23, when we find Jesus hanging on the cross, he's already been flogged and beaten, spit upon. He's had nails driven through his hands and his feet. There he is hanging on the cross between two criminals close to death. The soldiers who arrested him are are throwing dice, gambling for his clothes and his garments. The religious leaders are looking on and and deriding him and, 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 and insulting him. And in the midst of all of this, Jesus says... Face. Luke 23, 34, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, Aphes, for they do not know what they're doing. Forgive, let it be, let it alone. Is there any doubt that Jesus is not the gardener in this parable? Each week during this series on Jesus' parables, we've begun by looking at a short video which reimagines the parable in a contemporary setting. Some of the parables have been shorter than others. Some have been funnier than others. Some have been kind of weird, like that gnome one from a few weeks ago. My daughter's like, Dad, no more gnome videos, please. A few have been quite poignant. In 2005, a group called 36 Parables started making these contemporary parallels to some of Jesus' parables. What caught my attention was the high quality of storytelling from Stuart Redwine and his team. It wasn't cheesy or predictable like many of the religious uh, films or shorts that, that, that they tend to be. And I was immediately hooked. And so the one that we saw today, Sean, that was created in 2006. And as you might imagine, it was, it's, it's one of the ones that affected me most strongly. I think it conveys perfectly what we've been talking about with this parable of the barren fig tree. The principal is ready to expel Sean. Uh, what you've done is unforgivable, she says. And, and in her mind, it's all black and white, or I should say in the eyes of the teacher, it's black and blue. Uh, there's no wiggle room. The ramifications of hitting a teacher are clear. And when, she voices her, when the teacher voices concern, the principal tells him, in effect, you know, I'm, I love it that you love your kids, but this is not the kid to go out on a line on a limb for But he can't give up. He sees something in this student that the principal doesn't. And he says, you know, this kid has a gift. He's creative. If we expel him now, he'll never have a chance. And so he puts his job and reputation on the line. And he, uh, you know, says that he's going to tutor him and, and even with anger management. And what I love is at the very end, as he's leaving, he looks back. And did you notice that that was one of the pictures that Sean had done? His name was there. He had gotten a B in art. 
Did you catch what it was that Sean drew a picture of? Not just a tree, a barren tree. Coincidence? I don't think so. You know what I love about this parable is the very last phrase. After volunteering his services, the gardener tells the owner, if the fig tree bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Did you catch that pronoun the first time? You can cut it down. He didn't say, then I'll cut it down, then we'll have it cut down. He said, you can cut it down, as if to say, because I'm not going to be the one to do it. Which kind of makes sense when you think about Jesus as the gardener, doesn't it? One of the most famous verses in all the scriptures, John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But do you know what John three seventeen says? Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Why is it that people outside the church think that all God is about is condemnation and judgment? Or John twenty four or uh, twelve forty seven, Jesus says, "I came not to judge the world, but to save the world." Robert Capon has a wonderful way of ending his chapter on this parable. He says that the world lives like the fig tree lives, under the rubric of forgiveness. But we don't think we live like that, of course. We think we live by reward and merit, as if salvation is a congratulations from God uh, who thinks we're basically good. Or God accepts our repentance as being good enough for him. Capon writes, but by the foolishness of God, that's not the way the way it works. By the folly of the cross, Jesus becomes sin for us, and he goes outside the camp for us, and he is relegated to the dump for us, and he becomes garbage and compost, offal and manure for us, and then he comes to us, his own body dug deep by nails and spears, and his own being made dung by his death, and he sends our roots resurrection. He doesn't come to see if we are good. He doesn't come to see if we are sorry. He comes only to forgive for free, for nothing, on no conditions. We are saved by gratis, by grace. We do nothing and we deserve nothing. It is all absolutely and without qualification, one huge, hilarious gift. As long as I am in him, I bear fruit. As long as his death feeds my roots, I will never be cut down. Friends, all of us are Sean. None of us have measured up to God on the goodness scale, but the good news is God doesn't ask us to. He doesn't ask us to be good. God just calls us to be faithful, and Jesus is our gardener. Remember the, in the story, uh, in, in John's story of the, of the resurrection on Easter morning, Mary and the disciples come to the tomb, and, and Peter rushes inside, and, and Jesus isn't there, and they go home, and they're kind of confused, and Mary is left there, right, standing outside the tomb, and Jesus comes up behind her, but she doesn't know that it's Jesus. She doesn't recognize him, and she turns around, and she thinks he's what? The gardener. Now, I always thought that at, uh, since it's a cemetery, there's lots of grass. You've got to mow the lawn. You've got to trim the hedges, take care of the plants, the trees, that sort of thing. I just assumed because it's a cemetery that the person there would be someone that cared for all that. And then I read this parable, and it changed everything. Maybe there's something more to Mary 
mistaking Jesus as the gardener. Maybe it's because Jesus is the gardener. Hmm. A gardener who has promised to give us himself. To give us his body, his blood, his spirit as the fertilizer that we need so that we might bear the fruit that we were created to bear. How amazing is that? No, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is only grace. Thanks be to God for this amazing gift and our loving God.